TJ, I don't know about you, but I'm feeling 22. Episode 22 of the Glass of Joe podcast. Joe Malfa alongside PJ Glasser. PJ, we got a ton of NBA we're going to cover, all with our guests today. Uh, you're going to notice a little location change, a little color change here for me if you're watching on YouTube. <laughs> we recorded the interview a couple days ago when I was at the beach. I got my color here. <laughs> but you did. Nice little tan. <laughs> NBA talk later, but let's start out the gates with some MLB. We started off last week's episode kind of giving a live update of uh, game five that it was of Rays Astros and how the Astros walked it off, kept it alive. Mm-hmm. The Rays staved it off, blew three games in a row. Still one and seven now in the World Series. Dodgers on the flip side came back from down three to one. We've got money versus money ball with the Dodgers and the Rays. And games one and two lived up to the hype. The Dodgers came out swinging in game one, dominated. Game two, some question marks as to why they started Gonsolin over Bueller, but still a close game in the end. And now it does set them up to have Bueller uh, in game three and then in a high leverage game seven situation. Right. They do have an off day on Thursday, and then they could have another off day if needed after Game 5 with the World Series format. But uh, overall, it's it's played out in the first two games kind of how we expected. And I still had Dodgers at 5. Uh, I feel a little less confident in that now uh, after seeing them kind of make almost – I don't want to say the same mistake the Yankees made. Um, but remember in that race series, there was all the talk of, you know, why did the Yankees try to outsmart them and go with Garcia for one inning and then Happ and – now, the Dodgers, it's like, well, you had Bueller there, and you have Urias in Game 3, and Urias proved in Game 7 of the NLCS that he could pitch in a high-leverage Game 7 situation. I know you want to maybe have Bueller for a Game 7, but would you rather not have just gone up 2-0 maybe with Bueller on the mound and then have Bueller in Game 6 and Urias in Game 7? That, to me, is fine, too. Now, with Urias going in Game 4, you're not going to be able to pitch Urias again unless it's out of the bullpen. So, it was some question right. marks. I was wondering what you thought about that. Some question I thought John Smoltz made a great point. It's not necessarily they made the wrong move starting Gonsolin or if they would have gone with May or whoever. It's how they went about it. When you tell these young pitchers that, they have, that they're only going out there to throw an inning, maybe two, it's tough for kids who throw five, six innings and you know their stuff takes them a little bit to get acclimated into the game and you're asking them to go zero to 100 to get three or four outs. So I think that's the mistake that they made. Personally, I think the move was smart to save Bueller for game three so that you can pitch him in a game seven if, if need be because you really need him in, in that game seven if it comes down to it. Um, but, yeah, I think the move that was questioned was probably why they didn't go with Urias in game right. two. I mean, right. I think that's the other side of it, too, where if you, if you didn't want to go with Bueller, I get it. Morton has been tremendous. Morton has a ridiculous record in elimination games. Mm-hmm. So if the Rays are kind of wargaming this out to have him in game three and him in game seven on the Dodgers side, I could see wanting to counter with Bueller in games three and a possible game seven as well. But when you are the Dodgers with the offense you have and the fact that we've talked about the only hole in their roster is the back end, even though Jansen has actually looked pretty solid. Yeah. Um, you go on the attack. You see that Morton's in game three. You say, screw it, Bueller's in game two. Now we're up 2-0. Come back at us. That's how I would have gone at it. But I th- you're right. At the very least, go with Urias. And like that, you, you still probably had it tipped in your advantage a little bit more in game two. Uh, but it, it's, it's tough because now uh, if, if things start to go south, 
and you're you're worried about you know you lose a game and, and now it's game six and you're facing elimination you might not even get to Bueller in game seven and you wasted possibly a start so there was, some, there was some questionable decisions as far as that goes they still almost pulled it out anyway because right. the offense is phenomenal how great is Seager playing right now it's a joy to watch him out there he was my pick for MVP to start. Um, I think he kind of gets lost in the shuffle because of how much attention Betts gets and Bellinger gets and Turner and Muncie. And Seager's kind of just that guy in the two-hole that bats after Mookie and he bats before Turner. But, uh, and he was hurt all of last year, so you see how important he is when he's healthy and he's clicking. His defense, too. I don't think people really appreciate how good of a defensive shortstop he is, but you're really seeing that in the playoffs. Um, I just, I love Seager. He's one of those guys who kind of just go about, he goes about his business. He, he, you know, he doesn't talk much. He's not much for the dramatic, doesn't have much flair to him, but uh, man, is, is he good? Um, again, he was my pick to win MVP. Brandon Lau keeps hitting two home runs a game yeah. and they win. He won't be, <laughs> but, um, but no, I, uh, it's going to be tough not to give it to Kershaw, especially the fact he got the winning game. Kershaw was my pick because I it, once I saw that he was starting game one. He's the feel-good pick. Yeah, he's the feel-good I mean, pick. And I also kind of looked at it and said, all right, if there's ever a time for him to really just kind of put all these storylines to bed, which are valid storylines, he has not been good in the postseason. Um, if there's ever a time to do it, it's now. In the World Series against a Rays team that – while they can paper cut you to death, kind of like those Royals in 14 and 15, while they can do that, at the same time, the bats can go awfully quiet. They're very streaky. And if you get them on a good day with Kershaw, you could have a couple of good starts against them where you're throwing up a one on the board and you're throwing up nine or 10 Ks and you help your team in the World Series. And it's one of those where if it's, it's close, if Seager's batting like 325 with two or three homers and like eight RBI, whatever. And Kershaw's got two wins and he's got a sub one five ERA in those two games. And uh, maybe even if it goes to his seventh game and he comes out of the bullpen for two innings or whatever, uh, almost kind of like Bumgarner, whatever the case may end up being, even if it's close between Seager and Kershaw, you, you get the sense it's going to go to Kershaw. But that is, of course, if the Dodgers go on to win. I still think they've got it in hand, but I feel like every time anybody all year long has counted out the Rays, even after blowing the lead against the Astros, everyone's like, oh, no doubt, game seven, Astros, after the Rays squandered it, it's in their minds, it's done. They come out and they dominate in game seven. Tampa, so. Yeah, they don't make it easy on themselves. They, you know, they don't, they don't sweep anybody other than the Blue Jays, really, in the first uh, wild card series. But uh, I had Dodgers in six to start, and we did our predictions at the very beginning. I had Dodgers Rays, I had Dodgers in six, so – I'm sticking to it. Um, I will say this, though. The Dodgers really hit Glasnow well, a fastball pitcher who throws 100, and then they struggled last night with Snell, who's got a lot of off-speed stuff. Morton's that same kind of pitcher. Mm -hmm. So they get a day off today on Thursday. We'll see if they can adjust. They got their guy, Walker Bueller, out on the mound, so they got to feel good about that. Um, but – Look, Tampa, I mean, the Nationals gave you the formula for Tampa Bay on how to win. You got three great great front-line starters. You got your two aces in Strasburg and Scherzer. You got it in Snell and uh, Glasnow. And then you got that Morton Patrick Corbin type who's a curveball pitcher, who's a number three, 
on your team, but would be a number one a lot of other places. Um, so they'll start Morton in game three, and then I wouldn't be surprised if after that, if maybe they use him in that Corbin kind of middle innings role type deal, unless they decide to start him in game six or possibly seven. You mentioned how good he is in elimination games, so they definitely probably could do that. Um, but, uh, yeah, the way Kevin Cash can work a bullpen. Oh, it's incredible. But that's, relievers. that's what I think could be their weakness as the series goes on, though, because in the first two games, the Dodgers have touched up the bullpen. They haven't really been intimidated by it. They've scored off the bullpen in yeah, a way yeah. that teams prior to this series haven't against the Rays. And you almost wonder if it's starting to catch up to them where all year long Cash would not let his starters face the order a third time around. Two times through, yay. They've got a lot of arms in the bullpen, stable of guys like they always say. But at what point is it too much where, all right, they threw collectively more innings than just about any other bullpen throughout the season because of his two times through the order getting hooked rule. Now in the playoffs, same thing. And they went five against the Yankees, and they went seven against the Astros. So they played the max amount of games after the wild card round where they played two games instead of three, of course. But they played the maximum 12 games. They heavily used the bullpen all season. They heavily used the bullpen in the postseason. Two games in the World Series. The Dodgers have touched up that bullpen. You wonder if that'll catch up to the Rays as the series goes on. And then their one biggest strength, which is being able to go to six or seven guys different arm angles throwing different nasty stuff out of the bullpen becomes their weakness because they've finally caught up to it the Dodgers in a way that past teams haven't and maybe the bullpen guys are just gas last night Fairbanks came out there and Fairbanks didn't look as dominant as he has been and Cash asked him to get through two innings so you you just wonder if that's going to ultimately catch up to the Rays that's why I still have Dodgers in five because I think the Dodgers come out in game three behind Bueller and get the W and then game four that's where things could kind of fall off a cliff, I think, for the Rays because they've dipped in the bullpen a lot in games one and two. They probably just, as history would indicate throughout the season, will dip into it heavily again in game three because no matter how good Morton is looking out there, he will probably get pulled at the right. start of the third time through the order. Right. And there's a decent chance they, they opt for a bullpen day in game four. They so could. if you're opting for – if you're flat out opting for a bullpen day in game four – that bullpen's going to be fried for games five, six, and seven. So that's, that's where I think they're just going to run out of steam. That's why game four, three is so massive, massive. Because if you can win, beat Walker Bueller in the process, and then have a bullpen day, and at the very least it's 2-2 with the best of three, and you got Glasnow, Snell, and Morton exactly. for five, six, seven, then we got Game three is massive for that reason. Because it is, 100%. If you told, if you told Cash before the season started, that you could be entering game four up two to one with a bullpen day where worst case scenario, like you said, it's best of three with those three pitchers. He would have rushed to sign on that dotted line no and not even thought twice about it. So yep. it's going to be a fun next week of the world series. We got to cherish baseball again while it lasts, as we've said with hockey and with the NBA and very shortly football's the only show in town, which again, there's no complaints about that. And we're only a couple of months away, hopefully, hopefully from the NBA and NHL starting back up in January. So we take a little preview at that with our first repeat guest on the show, Chris Miller, our best friend, one of our best friends. I can't say that because we've had other NBC so many best friends. guests on. We've got so many <laughs> best friends from there. 
Everybody loves us, we hope. Uh, but Chris Miller's back, first ever repeat guest. We went through just about anything you could think of with the NBA, a fun time. Here's the interview. Pleased to be joined for the second time on the Glass of Joe podcast by our good friend, Wizards Insider, Chris Miller. C. Mill, always good seeing you. How's everything going? Man, slow motion and slow walking, guys. And just uh, <laughs> like everybody else, man, just waiting for this damn pandemic to be over with so we can all reconnect. Hope everybody's Amen. doing well. Our first um, repeat guest, too, man. Our, fir- our first repeat. Oh, yeah, man, that's, that's great. Awesome. First repeat. Absolutely. <laughs> I must have did okay in the first one. Yeah, had yes, a sir. lot of fun with you. Uh, we told you we'd have you back when the bubble ended. Um, C-Mill, just wanted to get your thoughts. You know, a lot has happened in basketball since we last saw you. We previewed the NBA bubble. Now it's over. How impressed were you with the NBA and what they were able to pull off? You know, obviously, they were the first league uh, to shut their doors on March the 11th. And I think they have been in a leadership role since in terms of how to handle um, entertaining fans while doing it in a safe manner with the bubble. Uh, I commend NBA Commissioner Adam Silver, who even admitted he wasn't a fan of the bubble when first approached by it. So for him to kind of reverse course and to see that, yeah, it could work, uh, you commend his leadership. But I give a lot of credit to the players and the coaches who sacrificed, you know, time with their family. You know, if I was asked to do it, I wouldn't have done it. So I have a lot of respect for those guys to go down there and do that. Um, they're better than me, man. I just couldn't be away from my family like that, knowing what's going on in the world with, with this mm-hmm. pandemic. So clearly there was a lot of sacrifice. And the level of basketball was at a real high level. and. I was surprised by that because, you know, there's no fans. How do you kind of, how do you find your energy source, right? And I think what these players found was their teammates and coaches would be their energy source. And it kind of reminded me, we talked about it being like AAU. It really was kind of like that feel of you're down there with your brothers and, you know, it's you against the world. So, again, I commend the league for um, being mentally tough enough to go through it. There's also the civil unrest and some of the social injustice messages that the players put out there that should be commended also. So I think they were able to accomplish two things at once. And um, I just wish more people would have watched. And I understand because of some people's thoughts on players talking about things outside of sports probably irritated some. Um, And the calendar in which they were playing is just not your typical NBA calendar. but, you know, for hoop heads like us, we really appreciated that a champion was crowned. Mm-hmm. I think there should be an asterisk next to it, not in a negative way, but in a way of the most mentally tough team that was healthy at the right time, won the championship. And you commend LeBron and Anthony Davis and all those players from the Lakers for being the most mentally tough team down there. So Absolutely. I mean, nothing, ahead, nothing about this was easy. I mean, it's, it's neutral court. Mono a mono, best on best. And that's why you probably saw what the Nuggets were able to do twice with the comebacks because they didn't have to fly back out to Utah or fly back out to L.A. And it's best on best and the best one. So it was a lot of fun to, to see that. It's a great point you make with the benches, too, because usually you see guys standing up maybe with like five minutes to go in the fourth quarter or somebody makes a big three or a highlight dunk. But really throughout the bubble, I mean, if guys were making buckets, Dudes were standing up, waving the towel, all that kind of stuff. Um, Now, you mentioned the Lakers obviously winning the title. Outside of them simply having LeBron and Anthony Davis, what do you think was the biggest factor that they ended up winning the title? 
the smartest basketball player maybe in the history of the league, Rajon Rondo. <laughs> I mean, I won't disrespect him because he doesn't like being called playoff, playoff Rondo, but damn. Um, there is something to be said about the mental part of the game. And, guys, I think that has been – I've covered this league for so long. I feel like the real separator of greatness is what you can do between your ears. Everybody's athletic. Everybody in the league is athletic from the 15th man. I mean, listen, I've seen some of these coaches with the bad knees coach and playing in some of these practices are really athletic, even at their old age. So the athleticism is a prerequisite to get to the NBA. You have to be the elite of the elite. But the ones that use their minds are the ones that are able to take their game to another level. And you just think about what Rondo was able to do. When you get into the NBA playoffs, it's really about what you do in the half court. Very rarely are you really able to get the ball up, push it, and dunk it. Very rare. Your fast break points clearly come down. But Rondo knows your plays. And I heard him because there were no fans in there. If you guys really listen to those games, absolutely, he's calling out other team sets. And he's literally telling guys behind him where the offense was going. And that resonates to me because at every level of basketball, I've always been <clears throat> basketball attracted to really smart players. When they, when they just know your stuff, think about what that does for the opposition. And I think the most important part of the Lakers winning that championship, besides obviously 35-year-old, 17th in the league, LeBron, was the mental makeup of Rajon Rondo. Can you remember a time when two teammates on the same team have had that much basketball IQ, LeBron and Rondo? Like, have there ever been two teammates on the same team that have just been that intellectually advanced on the same yeah. team? Yeah, and, and they played for the Lakers in the 80s, and their names were Magic Johnson and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. <laughs> I mean, Abdul-Jabbar was on the latter part of his career, but yet Magic knew exactly left elbow, right hand, sky hook. Left block, right hand, sky hook. And Magic just, it's amazing to me. Like, you know, we always talk about the GOAT. Who's the GOAT? Who's the GOAT, right? But I see so much of LeBron's game and Magic's, right? Mm -hmm. And just the smart intellectual way in which they go about the game. They're playing chess. Everybody else is playing checkers. Now, there's been a lot of talk about the Lakers wanting to add some more pieces, whether it's Beal, your boy, whether it's D. Rose, whether it's Chris Paul. So many names out there. Do you think they need to get that piece, or do you think as is they've got a chance to repeat? Oh, they got to definitely add pieces because as from one year to another, teams are making adjustments. Now they got to go catch the Lakers. What are the Lakers doing? So, guys, remember when Golden State was in their dynasty, and I still think they're <laughs> going to be really good when yet. they come back together, <laughs> right? Yeah. But what made them different than everybody else? They had two of the greatest shooters in the world on their team. Um, and they changed the game because everybody had to figure out, oh, my God, we got to stop Steph and Clay from 30 feet. Okay, they're going small ball. Okay, let's go small ball. And then Daryl Morey took it to another level with, with, with the worst concept of basketball ever in the history of basketball, <laughs> in my opinion. So now how are teams going to adjust to the Lakers? We got to go get some size. Man, they, they are parading out, you know, multiple seven-footers, AD, LeBron can play 
any position that he wants. So now teams are going to have to adjust to the champs. Well, who are those teams? Denver's big, right? Um, there's not really a lot of teams that can match up to the Lakers right now. So they're going to catch the Lakers. Well, I think the Lakers would be smart with Rob Palenka leading the way now is to figure out, okay, who's that next piece that if we lose KCP or if we decide we want to trade Kuzma to get this, or we just go into free agency, who's that next piece? Bradley Beal to me is off the books because they have absolutely nothing that I want from a wizard standpoint. So Brad's off the books, mm-hmm. but you know, if there was a way for them to get Fred Van Vliet, that's not a man that thought about, but that's yeah, that's a lot of money, right? He's he's bet on himself the last two years, but to me, if you insert Fred Van Vliet in that Lakers lineup. They're going to win it again because he's, he's, I think he's one of the best on-ball defenders in the league. And what do you need in the playoffs? Oh, and by the way, I think he could be a really good point guard also. Yeah, That's true. That's true. Now, talking about the Lakers, got to talk about the other L.A. team and the Clippers, possibly their biggest threat again. A lot of things that have to shake out there. But were you more disappointed in the Clippers' inability to close out the series against the Nuggets or more impressed with Denver's ability to come back? Um, the Clippers was my team to win it. I was really disappointed in their 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 lack of engagement in the bubble. I mean, their talent got them to that point. The talent level just got them to a situation where, you know, they could, you know, potentially get to the Western Conference Finals. The problem is when you blow a 3-1 lead, and we're starting to see this in, in, in multiple sports, you know, the Braves, it just happened to the Braves. When you blow a 3-1 lead, that is a psychological gut punch. And then you come to find out that the Clippers that were on the team last year might not be feeling those two stars that came in. They thought, you know, obviously Kawhi might have got preferential treatment on not playing every night, blah, blah, blah. So when that stuff starts coming out of your locker room, you're like, "Uh uh-oh, there's drama in L.A., which is no surprise. There's always a lot of drama in L.A., right? But – when you lose a 3-1 lead, that's tough. And then look what happened. Doc leaves. Now Doc has lost three different 3-1 series. The most so of now, any coach. Yeah, so that's on his resume. As much as we talk about him winning the championship in Boston, um, the next sentence should be, yeah, but he's blown three 3-1 leads. So he's off the Philly. Good luck with that. Um, <laughs> but I was more disappointed with the Clippers. I mean, too much talent. I thought they had the two best two-way players in the league. Um, I saw Jordan and Pippen in this instance where Doc could have, you know, when Scotty and Mike were at their best um, into the first quarter, Scotty would start the second quarter with the second unit. And then Mike would come in and you could, you know, Phil Jackson would maneuver how to play Scotty and Mike together, how to play them with second units. That way you always had your superstar out there. But for some reason, Kawhi and PG Doc could really never figure out that mix. And I think that's what cost them. Because you think about it, um, in a series with the Lakers, uh, you could switch off on LeBron with both of them. And even Marcus Morris to a certain point. So I like that matchup, but they couldn't even get to. And on that note, do, do you think, before we continue with the rest of the things that we wanted to get to, um, do you think Ty Lue is the answer? Do you, what, what were your thoughts on that? 
kind of dynamic of getting rid of Doc, promoting Ty Lue, and how that impacts the Clippers next year? Uh, I think Ty Lue is a good coach. Uh, I, I think the way he managed his relationship with LeBron in Cleveland was noteworthy because, you know, he could tell LeBron, hey, yo, go be LeBron. Stop waiting around for everybody else. So Ty Lue kind of had that kind of panache with players. With this Kawhi guy, I I don't know if, if Ty Lue has that relationship. And I, I don't know how you can get to Paul George. Paul George, to me, and I, I don't know if I've ever told you guys this, he's my favorite player in the league. Hmm. He's been my favorite player in the league for a long time because I see, like, Scottie Pippen in him where he can guard anybody you want out on the floor and he can score and he can do it all. But sometimes he just kind of forgets he's Paul George. So I'm curious to see how Ty Lue manages two different personalities. Oh, and by the way, they still have, you know, those pieces that were there before those guys got there, which ultimately ended up being an issue uh, with that group. Uh, I don't know what the alternative would have been, but Ty Lue, I'm, I'm real curious to see how that works out. You talked about a little bit just the West as a whole next year. Golden State's going to be healthy. Steph and Clay coming back. They're going to, uh, you know, get a great draft pick. Um, the Mavericks are going to be a problem. Luka's front runner probably MVP. He's here. Hey, hey, guys, forget the uh, he's coming. No, he's Luka's here. He is. <laughs> he's here, and he is my early favorite to win MVP next season. Okay. Ah, okay. Um, okay. Nice. We were going to ask you about that later on, so that's interesting. I'll um, give you some more detail later. <laughs> <laughs> later on, um, you know, Denver, Houston, but are the Clippers? Are they still the team that you look at and you're like, that's the team that would give the Lakers the, the most problems? Oh. Not anymore. No. Okay. Uh, hopefully, they can get their stuff together. But as you guys said, there's so many other uh, players that want to, you know, you know, go to the party. Uh, I will never sleep on. Uh, those Splash Brothers, uh, and they've heard the noise. They've got right? the third that best over. title. They've heard that eh, they might be <laughs> Steph, Clay, Draymond. Uh, they've got pieces. They're going to get a high draft pick. I hope they get Wiseman because I think adding Wiseman into that five unit, rim protector, uh, can run the floor, skilled, uh, could be that that real stamp of approval. Right. Love to see Andrew Wiggins finally show his potential. Uh, Denver, I want Jeremy Grant in a Wizards uniform so bad. You guys have no idea, but <laughs> if he decides to stay there, uh, they could be really good. I think Murray's going to take another step from what we saw in the bubble. Uh, and Dallas, uh, the Porzingis part of it concerns me because another surgery, right? And he's a big man. Uh, the lower legs, you know, is starting to really take its toll on him. But Luka is so dynamic. And, uh, you know, what the Clippers did, I think they had to do it. I don't really appreciate it by beating him up. I mean, they literally they literally pumped him, right? They just did little things to get under his skin because they knew if it was talent on talent, hoop on hoop, IQ on IQ, he was getting the best of them. And I think Luka has definitely become, you know, again, my favorite to win MVP next season. But the West is loaded, man. I tell you who ain't going to be there. That's the Houston Rockets. That, that, that's <laughs> done. I tell you, worse, that, I, I, that style of basketball almost makes my stomach hurt when I watch it, when you completely disregard the mid-range. And it's just like, 
you're just like saying no to real estate on the court that could give you some really good usage rate. And you're just like, no, we're not doing it. You're going to shoot what Jimmy did with it. Look at what Jimmy, what Jimmy did with it. Jimmy took him to the finals in the mid range. Thank so. you. But you know, the smart people say it's a bad shot. So <laughs> it's going to be interesting to see what they do. They obviously need a new coach, a new GM. So do they go forward with that kind of thought process or do they just completely start over? Now, Joe and I were talking about this on our podcast months ago, the Phoenix Suns, how great of a surprise they were. And for basketball people like us, we knew what Devin Booker was capable of. But I feel like the casual sports fan kind of saw how special he is. Do you think that Phoenix could be a sneaky playoff team maybe next year, 7-8 seed kind of deal? Yes. Um, My only thing with Phoenix is – can they stop people? Like, True. I think they have enough offense. Aiden, I think, will take another step. Uh, Kelly Oubre, man. See, when you guys <laughs> asked me, he should have never left, man. I, I, oh, to this day, I'm still like, why did they trade him? Uh, Oubre is there. I mean, they've got P- – Devin Booker, to me, is a bigger – younger version of Brad that could absolutely get off the bus and give you a 40 piece. Um, The defensive end, I think he can do it. I think he, he could be a really good two-way player because of his size. Um, What's the point guard situation going to look like with them? I love Monty Williams. I've always loved Monty and his approach to the games, defense first, uh, no questions asked. Uh, I think they could sneak in there. Is an eight. Well, I tell you what would be interesting to watch. Let's just say Golden State goes back to being Golden State. Can you imagine a first-round matchup of Phoenix-Golden State? Over-unders at like 250 for those games. Something yeah, first like 250. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that would be a lot of scoring in those games. <laughs> well, there's going to be a lot of intrigue out west. I mean, we talk about the Suns as a possible seven or eight seed, but that's without even mentioning teams like the Grizzlies, Spurs, Kings, mm-hmm. all teams who were there. Yeah. So. Plenty yeah, of I love the Grizzlies. West. They're my favorite young team in the league. Love the Grizzlies. A lot of talent. Uh, a lot of Brandon talent. Clark, but, John um, Morant. You know, they, they, they've got some pieces over there. They got yeah. a good future. But switching east, uh, now before we get to the teams and the players, a few coaching changes, obviously, out east. Uh, between Billy Donovan of the Bulls, Doc of the Sixers, and Nash of the Nets, which one do you kind of have your eye on the most? I think Donovan's the kind of which one's not like the other here. But uh, but let's let's get your take on all three. Steve Nash. Uh, Brooklyn, to me, is the biggest storyline of mystery going into next season. Kyrie and KD have not played with each other before, but they're, like, really close friends. You know what it reminds me of, guys? I hope it doesn't end this way. It reminds me of the Clippers last year. Remember, Brooklyn was a playoff team. They were a grit and grind team, and now you've added two – superstars in Kyrie and KD and now you're asking a first-time coach at any level to manage two superstars versus the rest of the team which was grit and grind so how do you make that work this is a Clippers East exhibit a moment I'm giving you guys right now keep your eye on that how do the two superstars now integrate themselves into that locker room it's not the other way around Mm. it's not Karis LeVert, Joe Harris, Jared Allen, Spencer Dinwiddie. You shouldn't have to ask them 
to fit with the two stars. If you're two stars, you kind of massage your way into that locker room to have some success. The Brooklyn Nets, to me, could be Clippers East if the two stars don't figure it out. They need to figure it out. It's a good comp. Philly, to me, I don't see Doc getting this Ben and Embiid thing together. It, to me, it's – they're done. <laughs> it, it, it's you got to pick one or the other. Uh, these two will not take Philly to that next level. You've got Al Horford on an awful contract, and then you, he's coming off the bench. Tobias Harris hasn't lived up to the standard. He's got a contract that's crazy. Uh, but they do have interesting young pieces. This Matisse Thibel kid, love to have him on my team, right? So Philly, to me, I don't see that working out. The Bulls, young team. Billy Donovan's going to get a long rope to figure it out, Oof. develop some young players. I think Chicago's sneaky down the road could be a team to keep your eye on, uh, especially if they get off of my man Otto's contract. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but I'm curious what Zach Levine, like Zach Levine to me is a guy that can get you 30, but is, is he the best player on a winning team? That's the interesting thing about Levine. Love his game, but I don't know if he's the guy that's the guy. Now, mentioning those two teams, the Sixers, the Nets, talk about all those pieces besides KD and Kyrie. Now, you said that you don't want anybody from the Lakers on your team in a Beal trade. Now, the Nets have the pieces. That's one of the teams that's been talked about. Do you see something possibly brewing there? The only way I see it, Brewing is if Brad goes to management and say, get me out of here. Of course. Ball's in his court. See, this is the thing when we keep talking about Beal moving on to other teams. Miami. Now I'm here in Milwaukee. Uh, both L.A. teams. Um, if I'm management, I'm not moving him. He's our best player. Yeah. I, what? No. We got, we got John coming back. We're going to ride this out. One more year, I want to see them two together. If it doesn't work, then you probably need to move on from somebody. But why would you put all of this together with the notion of we want to bring them back one more run to see if we can get over the top? If I'm moving Brad, it's because he told me he wanted to leave. Now, if he says that, then if I'm Tommy, I'm picking up the phone and I'm calling and I'm getting the, the best deal possible and maybe – one of the best deals could be Brooklyn because if you think about it, we like Karis LeVert. I like Joe Harris. I really like Jared Allen. That's where we're starting. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm opening up the refrigerator, taking all the good stuff. Out of the refrigerator. <laughs> if, I'm, if I'm the Wizards and I'm trying to move Brad, I, I, I got to get us because look what you're getting. You're getting a score in LeVert. You're getting a three-point shooter in Joe Harris, and you're getting a rim protector in Jared Allen. See, if I'm moving, if I'm moving my best player, I'm gonna have to fill a lot of the holes that yeah. my current team has on the roster. You get three other starters like that. But on the flip side of that, um, I touched on the Sixers. You already kind of intimated at Ben not working out really with Embiid and Doc coming into that. Do one of those guys get moved? I know Embiid to the Warriors for their two pick plus other assets has come up. Instead of getting Wiseman, you just go pluck Embiid. Are one of those two guys? going to be out. I know it's going to be a busy offseason. I'm really curious to see how many how many things we hear about, you know, 
oh, uh, this trade was agreed to over ping pong at the Coronado Springs Hotel. During the <laughs> <laughs> over, hey, uh, around the golf, right? Hey, around the golf. Or so, uh, you know what? That's, I always had this debate with my Philly buddy. So I, I, I want to I answer your question by asking you guys a question. Who do you build around in Philly? Like, if you had to pick between the two of them, who do you build around? I'd pick I him say B because MD. I think he's got that killer mindset if he puts his mind to it, but it's not a clear answer. I'm not, I'm not building around a guy who can't shoot a jump shot. I'll tell you that, though. <laughs> right. But, but, Joe, that's interesting because my counter to that is, yes, he doesn't shoot, but, damn, he's an elite defender, led the league in steals, He's big. He can guard anybody out there. Um, if you put him on the low block, good luck. But he has to have the ball in his hand. Like, yeah. to me, Ben Simmons is the most confusing player exactly. Exactly. in the league because I see it. I see. I see it. 6'10". Runs, runs like a deer. Great court vision. Defends at a really good level. But do I want to build my team around him? That's the question. It's so confusing it's, with him. But you know what Embiid is. That's why I think he's the more – you know what you're going to get out of him. It's just a matter of yeah. his health sometimes. That's all. Especially, I've been told that we haven't even seen the best version of Embiid's I buy low post game and his footwork. Apparently he has – I'm not going to say Akeem Olajuwon because that's totally disrespected, <laughs> Akeem. But he has that type of footwork in his game that he hasn't even thought about putting out there on the floor. I've heard he is unbelievably gifted offensively, but yet he wants to shoot threes. And he, man, listen, as big as you are, big fella, get your behind on that low block and go eat. But it's weird. That's why I'm saying, like, I don't know which one of those two. Because you're gonna have to pick one. I mean, right. you got. I mean, you just can't keep riding with them too like that. Um, I look for maybe it the, is Embiid in the playoffs too. I just think Embiid will be so much more effective because in the half court, yeah. the game court. slows down. He can get his shot, and then when the game, you know, isn't in the fast break as much, I just don't think he would be as effective when the refs aren't giving you as many calls when you're going to the rim. But it's it's an interesting discussion. Now, somebody who Ben kind of mirrors, you know, physically maybe a little bit is Giannis. And his Bucks. they haven't made it to the finals yet. And I see you shaking your head. See, though, what, what's their biggest flaw? Like, why is this team so good in the regular season? And they just get to the playoffs. And we, it, it's like not even the same team. You know, Miami really exposed them to the point now where <laughs> – if I'm the opposition, I'm just running back the film of that series to watch the amount of bodies that was waiting for Giannis to drive downhill at the top of the key. Every time he tried to drive down the top of the key, who was waiting for him? Elbows and boxes, man. They were just they were just waiting for him. Hands out, legs in there. I mean, they were waiting. They, I mean, zoned up, waiting for him. And then this Milwaukee team that was so amazing in the regular season for hitting three-point shots, diverse roster, can do it all. Their margin of victory was double digits in the regular season. They were getting everybody out of there, right? 
They were like Golden State a couple years ago, third quarter of death. Giannis doesn't play any minutes, but yet he puts up all these crazy numbers. Then the playoffs happened, then they got exposed. And here's the thing. If Milwaukee wanted Bradley Beal and you made a trade, this should tell you how flawed the Bucks are. I want you guys to tell me who you want off that roster. Giannis is off the board. You can't get Giannis. But I want you to tell me who on that team you guys would be like, oh, I got to have him. I mean, Middleton for starters. Brogdon was, was but, where they messed up. That was the yes. guy. That was their yeah. Van Fleet type. They needed no. him, and you saw how much they – I mean, I guess Lopez – After Middleton, though. How big he is but and how much he can shoot. But you're right. I mean, after Giannis uh, – I'm not, you know, calling, racing to the phone to call the Bucks and really get any of their players. It's that's I sort think, of, I mean, it's like, just, as good as they were, just, which is so odd to me that they were the number one team in the NBA in the regular season. Again, their point differential was double digit. They were blowing everybody out. But yet, if you got on the phone and you called them and you knew that Giannis was off the table, the question is, who do you want? After Middleton is really, I mean, I don't want really Bledsoe. I don't, I, after Middleton, that's really it. And then you're getting into just a lot of question marks after that. Yep. And that's a good way to phrase it. I mean, that really answers the question. I, I'm glad you phrase it like that and put it in that context. After Giannis, now what? That's, that's a good way to put it. I, didn't, I haven't thought about it like yeah. that. They're really, yeah. it's more, it's more a lot of role players that they hope fill a specific role. But when you ro- have to, you know, cream rise to the top situation like that. In, if you're moving your two-time All-Star who should be four-time and should be All-NBA, we'll save that for another day. <laughs> if you're moving that guy, you better be getting a haul. I'll tell you what, you're picking I'm the Nets package a over anything. Is, to, go ahead, Joe. You're, you're picking the Nets package over anything the Bucks. can no question. in that situation. No question. No question. So are you buying the Giannis talk to Miami then? I mean, if the Bucks can get in a trade, if they can get some of those pieces, if they can somehow get Tyler Hero or, you know, somebody like that. It would be a homecoming for Tyler. How crazy would that? He'd be going back to his hometown. That's true. That's true. But do that you might be they... the only way the Bucks could win is if they had, like, hometown talent coming home, mom and dad, auntie and, aunt, and all of them can come <laughs> see me play. Tyler Hero to the Bucks would be, like, the equivalent – Maybe the equivalent of LeBron going to Cleveland. Like, can you imagine Tyler Hero in a Bucks uniform? Yeah, that'd be. <laughs> but I, I would tell you guys this: um, a no discussion with Milwaukee would be Bam Adebayo off limits. Nope, nope. I think personally, the Heat should just wait. I mean, I don't know. I mean, maybe there's a fear some other team tries to swoop in and trade for Giannis, but you know he's probably not going to resign at least it doesn't seem like it at this point so why get it funny like like, everybody's saying all the right things right Giannis is like I love my teammates and Bucks are like we're gonna resign him like it's all this great like oh everything is cool copacetic nah dude y'all got y'all's butt kicked no one believes it no one believes it come on and you can't tell me that after that series was over with that plane ride back to Milwaukee wasn't real uncomfortable. Uh-huh. And, like, dudes uh-huh. are side-eyeing each other, like, hey, you ain't nice at all. And <laughs> dudes looking back at the other one being like, well, shoot, you was the league MVP, bro. You're not that nice either. So when you get beat like that, 
trust me, I've been on plane rides coming back home where dudes are like <laughs> side-eyed each other. Come on. And especially if you're the best team in the regular season. They just got to wait, in my opinion, Miami. Wait a year, just sign them for money, and put him with all those pieces and Hero yeah. and Bam and all those guys. So Now, you've been here with us. First repeat guest, so you know what's coming next. Uh-oh. Swift 7, Rapid <laughs> Fire, and right. Trivia Question. You know right. it. You know what's coming. I know so the let's deal. Let's go through this. Let's, let's run through it so we can get you that trivia question so you can redeem yourself from last time. Oh, my God. That was uh, so bad. Andrea Borgnani has been having nightmares ever since. <laughs> I've been shaking ever since. Oh, man. <laughs> All right, number one, does Luca win MVP next year? You already touched on this. Heck, yeah. Maybe unanimous. Ooh, I like that. We got to all in. I am so bullish on Luka. It's ridiculous. All right, all right. Number two, over under one and a half more titles for LeBron. Over, over. All right. Favorite player in the twenty twenty draft. Anyeke Okungwu. Okay. Is Eric Spolstra the best coach in the NBA? Yes. Is it close? <laughs> yes. All right. Point guard you would rather have moving forward. Jamal Murray, John Morant, Donovan Mitchell. <laughs> ja- uh, Jamal Murray, John Morant. Or Donovan Mitchell. I don't consider Donovan Mitchell a point guard, so okay. I'll take him off. I would say John Moran. More pressure on them to win a title next season, the Bucks or the Clippers? Clippers, because Steve Ballmer might move the team to Alaska if they don't get it done. <laughs> I know they've got an arena coming up, but he might be like, man, forget that. I'm moving you jokers to Alaska. Get it done. I say the Clippers. What was the because better? I think I think Milwaukee might move Giannis. Yeah, okay. uh, I think they're they're going to realize you have an option. You can either move him for something, or let him leave for nothing. Right. Better. What was the better play from the bubble? What was the play that you just got out of your chair and you were like, "Damn!" Oh, Bam Adebayo's game-saving block on Jason okay. Tatum. So let, let I was... me tell you. I would tell y'all a quick story about that. <laughs> so Bam Adebayo is my favorite young player in the league love him i had him for most improved this year i've loved him since he was a high school kid playing with dennis smith and aau down in north carolina love bam Adebayo. so anytime he does something i'm always egging everybody like when he won the skills competition at the all-star i don't know if you guys remember this there was an all-star game this year it seems like two years ago doesn't it that the all-star game was in chicago right (laughs) so bam won the skills competition so that night i'm in the united center and he's doing and you know you're not supposed to cheer in the press box well i'm like go get it bam that's what i'm talking about (laughs) right so i'm all in on bam man when tatum i think he drove by jimmy butler or was a crowder i can't remember who it was so he blew past him and i was like oh my god he is going to dunk all over whoever is coming weak side Man, when I looked and saw who was coming weak side, and then all of a sudden he just went up with Tatum and the, 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 L, the, the wrist bent back and he blocked it, I said, oh, that's the play of the bubble. That, that, was, that was like 
the most perfect Bam Adebayo play to make at that time. And it was against a real dog in Jason Tatum. It's not like he did that against some scrub who had bounce. He did that against one of uh, the best young players in the league in a closeout game scenario. It's so funny you said the Bam block because I was going to ask you to choose between that or Luca's game winner. But right away you went to that. So I'm like, <laughs> that's the answer. There you go. I'm with you. That was one of the – because really, especially this day and age, you don't see blocks like that anymore, especially yeah. with a game on the line like that. So I'm with Think you. about that. I'm going to meet you at the summit. And t- it's Tatum versus Adebayo. I mean, when you talk about, like, some young players in the league that you're excited to see, it's those two. And it was two bulls, man, just locking horns. And it was such a great play. It was. Um, all right, C-Mill. So, you know what's coming next, the trivia all question. Right. All right. We got – I mean, Joe, you think this is a pretty good question? I like it. I, I think it's, I think it's a pretty two, good personally. one. I, I only got one of the two. It's Barniani. Malfordiani. Um, all right. So LeBron became the third player in NBA history to win four or more titles and win at least one with three different teams. So we got two with Miami, one with Cleveland, one with the Lakers. There are only two other players that also have four or more titles and have won one title with three different teams. Can you name us those two players? And these aren't dudes from, like, the 50s or the 60s. These are 90s and then early 2000s guys. Remember, three strikes, 90 seconds. Wait, you so say it again. So they've won at least yep. four titles. Correct. At least four titles, and then they've won at least one with three different teams. Robert Ory. Is one, That's correct. One. There's two. There's, so there's one more, right? There's one more. Yeah. Yep. It's a role player. It is. Okay, give me a hint. Uh, Pistons, Bulls, Lakers were the teams. Oh, John Sally. There you John go. John Sally, well done. I needed that lifeline. <laughs> <laughs> you got very nice. It's, it's interesting. The question is interesting. Four titles, three different teams. So when you think of it like that, it had to be a role player. It had to because no star would move around. Like right. Except for LeBron. Right. That's a great point. <laughs> Except for LeBron. Except for LeBron. Except for LeBron. <laughs> so, yep. So, Big Shot Bob got seven. He got two with Houston, three with the Lakers, two with the Spurs. And then Sally was two with the Bad Boy Pistons, one with the Bulls in 96, and then one with the Lakers. So nice to done. Appreciate that lifeline. Avenge yourself. Hey, well, hey, you're one and one. You're one and one. One and one, baby. Gets hey. closer, when the NBA season gets closer to starting, whether it's New Year's, whether it's MLK Day, whatever it is, you gotta go. You gotta take the rubber match and go and go two and one. <laughs> I'm just gonna say Barniani and I'm gonna win. So I don't care. There you <laughs> go. See me real quick before we let you go. We do have the draft coming up next month. I know you're following the draft closely. Wizards sitting there at number nine. You said you liked Onyeka. Is there another guy if he falls to number nine that you'd like to see the Wizards take a shot at? Okay, so I'm glad you asked me that, PJ. And I just level with me for a second. Go ahead. The reason why I like Okungwa so much 
it's he reminds me of Bam. This is where the NBA bigs are going. Mm. 6'9", really athletic. You can run pick and roll with them, dive to the basket. They're catching lobs. Look what Drogic and Adebayo did in the playoffs. I thought their pick and roll game was masterful. I'm so bullish on Okungwa that I would actually call to move up to make sure I procured his services. Wow. All right. So most of the mock drafts that I'm seeing, he's not getting past Detroit at seven. So I'm calling Detroit, and I'm like, listen, I'm willing to give you nine and one of my young players, you name the young player, and I got to move up to seven because I have to have him. He's that good for me, guys, because I see what he could look like. I'm just going to read you guys something real quick about this kid. So he's 6'9", 235, 7'2", wingspan. So he's long. He averaged 16 and 8 at USC. The 16 points per game were on 10 field goal attempts. He only got 10 shots a game. He made six of them. He shot 72% from the free throw line, 62% from the field. Now, will those numbers, will they equate to the NBA? Maybe, because John Wall's back. He'll play with the best point guard he's ever played in his life. Who's going to get him spoon-fed buckets, as John used to say about <laughs> Gortat. Right. right? <laughs> so I'm bullish on Okungwa. But here's what I'm going to do at 37. Cassius Stanley. Okay. Cassius Stanley is there at 37. Now you've got a backup to Beal who's 6'5", super-duper athletic, that could maybe play some small ball three. See, I got this draft figured out for the Wizards. You really I got to move up to get a Kungwa, and I'm praying that Stanley is going to be there at 37. Here's where the Wizards just got better. They got younger and more athletic and explosive. And that's what they need, man. Where the they, NBA is going. It's where they're going. You got to get me young, athletic, skilled, motors, guys with motors. You don't have to motor. You don't need to, to prop them up on a Tuesday night against Minnesota. They are already ready to go. Uh-huh. They're ready to go Tuesday night against Minnesota, Saturday night at home when the Lakers come to town. It doesn't matter what night it is. I need them ready to go motivated, not propped up. And, and, and got to beg for them to perform. Those days are over for me. I'm tired of seeing. See, you guys got me on my soapbox. <laughs> you know, got me angry because I, I'm just tired of seeing that. I need to get guys who aren't just happy to be in the NBA. I need to get guys who are stupid like they competitive. Yeah. yeah, to the point where, like, you got to bring them back. And I like those two kids. I think your NBC Sports Washington or Media Days might be behind you. You might have to uh, hop in that Wizards front office. You got this whole draft figured out. <laughs> Man, look, I, during, this, during this COVID, I've just been sitting in this office just watching a lot of film, just going, God, I can't wait to get back to work. <laughs> you know, they, they created draft, a monster, guys. <laughs> if they draft him, do you start him day one at the four, bring Bertans off the bench? Or how would that look in the rotation? I assume you're moving Rui – Rui's at three, TB's at five. So would you have a Kongwu at four and then Berton's off the bench? That would be your look? I wouldn't re-sign Berton's. I've seen it before, man. It's, uh, it makes me nervous. 
it makes me nervous to see a guy who had that type of career year and then you give him a bag. What happens? I'm just nervous. It may just call it maybe my my like PTSD of watching, <laughs> you know, guys get bags and then whatever happened to this guy. I'm um uh, I'd love to see Jeremy Grant come home. That I, I just yeah, he opted out of his player option, which means he's probably going to go get a bag. And, you know, come on home, man. Bertans to me, is a good, he's a good dude, like him. It's just, you, as Wizards fans, you guys should understand, like, how I feel about, like, sure. oh, wait a minute. Uh-oh, somebody got some extra money. Like, how is he going to perform? And, and, yes, I understand the other argument about, dude, he's going to play with John. <laughs> I, See, there's but, but there's so many of them. It's not just Otto. There's, there's yeah. such a laundry list. Um, Yamahimi. <laughs> I'm See? out. See? Yeah. This podcast isn't long enough to go through all the names. No. Right. But if, 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 I don't understand that Davis is their number one priority. They get it done. If you're paying him that much money, guys, he's got to start and close games. I'm sorry. Sure. He's sure. He's got to be – in the starting lineup, and he's got to close the show with under five to go. Your guy, John Wall, I know you've been watching him a lot. Are we liking what we're seeing? Is he, I mean, are we getting Wall back? So I just wrote this yesterday because I got some news last weekend. Mr. Wall is in Los Angeles right now playing pickup games with Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving and members of the Brooklyn Nets playing five on five. Hmm. So here's what I've heard. The explosiveness is back. Um, and all of a sudden, there's a three-point shot to boot. A consistent three-point shot enough that Kevin Durant even mentioned it after one of their pickup games. I was told he said, hey, John's three-point shot's gotten better. Now, when Kevin Durant says that, I'm all in. But I have to see it with my own two eyes. But from what I've been told by multiple people, explosiveness is back and there's a three-point shot to boot if that's the case the best version of John Wall might be this return he's always told me 16-17 was his best season right best season look up his numbers he was amazing but this is the first time in 10 years guys that he has played injury free he's been hurt his entire career Mm -hmm. with something Bone spurs, knee, shoulder, finger, wrist. It's always been something. He said to me during the bubble that he played pickup one time this uh, during the bubble season when down in Miami, and it felt like he didn't even play. I'm like, what do you mean by that? He's like, I felt like I didn't play. There was no aches and nagging, nothing. So at 30 – we're all thinking he's coming off the most devastating injury you could have in sports. And I agree, Achilles is the worst. But to hear the explosion, a three-point shot to boot, and now what does that mean? That doesn't mean he has to drive to the basket and get those crazy lay-ins anymore. Protect your body at 30. The weight is down. So I'm cautiously optimistic. I want to see it for myself. But what I did see was before the quarantine happened, I saw him play five-on-five with this current group of Wizards players. And besides Brad, the rest of them were like this. They couldn't believe how fast he was. And I was like, you better get yourself acclimated because when he has the ball in his hands, 
you better run to the corner or you're going to get cussed out. <laughs> Very nice. Well, see, Mel, look, we got a gift from the Zoom gods today. Usually we get a 40-minute cat, but they gave us unlimited time. I guess they I needed it. You had to just give us your spiel about the Wizards draft. We love every I minute love it. of it. It was awesome. Well, it was great seeing you again. Again, our first repeat guest. Always great talking hoops with you. And, uh, you know, looking forward to the draft. And the bubble was so entertaining. It was great seeing you again. Great talking to you. Stay safe. Be well. And we'll do it again sometime down the road. PJ and Joe, thank you Appreciate so much you. for having me on, man. Talking hoop with you guys is so much fun. It's just like we chopping it up in the bar with no drinks. That's exactly uh, of right. Course, of course. That's so right. I salute you. <laughs> awesome. Take it easy, Simo. All good. All right, brothers. Y'all take care. Once again, that was Chris Miller, Wizards Insider from NBC Sports Washington. Joe, as you mentioned, our first repeat guest. And uh, how about Zoom giving us a nice little gift? We usually only nice. have 40 minutes with our guests, but uh, got the alert that Zoom was in the giving mood. They let us have unlimited minutes, so we took full advantage to pick C-Mill's brain. What, that was really nice because as, you, as we went on, they were just so – his mind is just a treasure trove of knowledge when it comes to the NBA, and I never wanted that to end because he just kept giving us more and more and more, and then we got into all the wizard stuff and his and – his, uh, his, the draft, draft towards the end. Draft, exactly. Yeah. And, and I mean, for him to come out and say, we made a good point. What else has he been doing? He's been studying the draft. I mean, it, there's so much. Uh, we're going to have to have him on again and again and again. That's going to be uh, probably the, the, the biggest friend of the pod. And right. <laughs> have him on. You know, he was the first repeat. He'll be the first time to come on three times, first guest to come on four times, and then just so on and so on. But uh, what really stuck out to me, though, was kind of what he had to say. All right, obviously – there's, there's storylines in the East. We know that. But the way he kind of handicaps the West was interesting to me. And his, his love for Luka, I buy it. I buy it, too. I think Luka's the MVP. But for him to drop that little nugget in there and say unanimous for Luka and talking about the Mavericks as a legit team in the West, that really stuck out to me. I mean, it did. But then again, you look at it and you're like, who are the MVP Ooh. candidates out West? I mean, you know what Harden's going to give you. LeBron. I think Harden's past. I mean, I, I think I think at this point there's fatigue with Harden, where people are a little bit tired of. All right, we know you're putting up forty, but it's kind of a hollow forty because you can right. just do everything. You know, you but, know what you're getting. Yeah. AD and LeBron. I mean, you got to feel like, especially LeBron, will kind of be on minutes restrictions with the shortened off season and wanting to save him for the playoffs, and then their numbers will cancel each other out. Jamal Murray and Jokic, same kind of thing. Their numbers will kind of cancel each other out. And you, you just wonder if they'll kind of put up the same numbers that they did in the postseason. So you look at Luka and his game is just built for regular season and over a long period of time. And everything the Mavs do go through him. So you got to think. I don't know if he'll be unanimous, but he definitely, if he's not, the betting favorite, he should be towards the top of the list. Yeah, unanimous is what struck a chord with me because, yes, he's going to be one of the favorites. Yes, I think he'll win it. But unanimous, that's a whole other level. That means you expect him to come out and pretty much average a triple-double on a team that's going to be at least a four seed if you want that unanimous next to the name. So I'm really <laughs> even – Dropping some heat, yeah. Track that throughout the season, but – would it, the question is, would it surprise you? And the answer is no, after what we saw, especially in the bubble from Luca. So uh, 
really looking forward to that. Looking forward to, to maybe touching base with Chris again as far as uh, when the draft rolls around for the Wizards and his his prized possessions that he tossed out there as far as the, the draft for the Wizards. And, um, I mean, it's it's going to be wild. I have no idea what to expect out of draft season, even the top of the draft with Edwards and Wiseman and Ball, like, Nobody knows how that's going to kind of go. There's so much uncertainty around everything in 2020. And then on top of that, it's one of the most uncertain tops of an NBA draft since, I guess, the Anthony Bennett draft, which was yeah. a horrible draft. But yeah. I, I, could, I was trying to think about it the other day off the top of my head. Like, I don't remember there being this much uncertainty at the top of an NBA draft really since then. So a lot, to, a lot to look for, but a lot yeah. to look for this weekend as well in college football because the Big Ten is back. Now, like we said a while back when college football started, we don't necessarily think they should be playing. I, well, I, mean, I won't speak for you. I don't necessarily think they should be playing. They made what seemed to be the wise decision at the beginning to not play. They saw the landscape of all these teams having cases, canceling games, all this, and then they decided after that to play. It makes no sense to me. But they're playing, and it's a sport that is huge, so we're going to talk about it as long as they are playing whether we agree or not that they are playing. So let's get that out of the way. But now that they are playing, TJ, we've got some more college football playoff candidates finally back in the mix. We do. Um, Ohio State is the front runner in the Big Ten. They play Nebraska this week. Should be, you know, smooth sailing for the Buckeyes. Total destruction in that game. People obviously know that Justin Fields is, is – is their quarterback, but Trey Sermon transferred from Oklahoma. You know, Ohio State always has those good running backs, and I don't know if he's quite J.K. Dobbins, but he's pretty damn good, so there won't be much of a drop-off. He's got plenty of weapons on offense. The defense will always be loaded. Travis Thomas, though, last week made an interesting point about the jury is still out on Ryan Day because he still has a lot of Urban's players. He still has a lot of Urban's players as well this year, but just down the road, it'll be interesting to see if he can keep Ohio State at a top-tier team. After that, I mean, the Big Ten is such a crapshoot, right? Is this yeah. Michigan's year? Who the hell knows? I mean, <laughs> there's been a lot of great talk about this quarterback that they have, Milton, that Harbaugh and the staff loves. P.J. Flex been watching him on tape, and he's like, this kid is the real deal. Minnesota, I would love if Rashad Bateman wasn't sitting out their star receiver. They do have Tanner Morgan back, who's the quarterback. That's the marquee game of the weekend is Michigan-Minnesota. Um, and then Penn State. I mean, James Franklin's teams, it seems like they're right there. They're ready to break the door open. but They just can't get over the Ohio State hurdle. They can't. They did win the Big Ten, um, the Big Ten East that one year, but they got – left out over Washington, which personally I thought was wrong. Mm -hmm. But, um, yeah, I mean, those are really the teams you look at. Wisconsin, obviously, you know what you're going to get out of Wisconsin, right? They're going to be – well, now there's ten game, uh, eight games this season. So they're probably going to be 7-1, and one, maybe 8-0. and oh. um, They're going to be right there. Um, but, Joe, after that, after those teams, I mean – you got teams normally like Iowa and Michigan State that sometimes will be in the mold, but I just don't think they're as good as they normally are this year. Um, to me, the Big Ten's really Ohio State and the rest of the pack. Maybe Penn State gives them a run. But I was going to say, I think Penn State gives them a run, and they play right away Halloween weekend. So they do, yeah, next week. So you will know immediately as far as which of those teams is going to be the team that rises to the occasion and is your favorite to make the college football playoff out of the Big Ten. 
but there's a lot of talent, and it's going to be really interesting to see how that kind of goes. Um, I don't know that I trust going with James Franklin or Brian Day. I don't know that I trust either of them yet. They've both given you reason for doubt, and I think when it comes down to it, the talent of Ohio State probably wins out. And this year, as far as not knowing what home fields are going to look like and the advantages in the Big Ten, and uh, there's just so much uncertainty that I don't feel confident in in anointing Ohio State in the way that everybody does. But it just comes down to they're the most talented team in that conference. And the Big 12 has already cannibalized itself. And so unless Iowa State runs the table, nobody's coming into the playoff. Or Oklahoma State. And they play this week. Yes, yes. Yes, exactly. So one of those two teams could come out of it. Right. In the SEC, Bama's coming out of it. Mm-hmm. A one-loss Georgia, if they stay one-loss, could come out of it. The Pac-12 is going to get totally lapped at. There's no shot anybody from the Pac-12 is getting in the playoff. Too short of a season. They're looked at as an afterthought anyway. Notre Dame, how do they fare as they get into an ACC schedule? I don't know. Clemson, of course, is there. So – you really look at the Big Ten to at least give you one team. Uh, it's just there's there's just no way I could confidently say that Ohio State comes out of it and threatens a Clemson or threatens a Bama. Like there's besides the whole Ryan Day thing, and I just don't know that uh, this year with all the uncertainty around it, with how they stopped and started camp, and I got friends who still work at Maryland, and they've said it's just been so weird. You know, started, stopped, started all the protocols. And the big thing that I wanted to touch on is with two epidemiologists as leaders of schools in the big 10, their protocols are insanely stringent in a good way. Uh, But the impact that that could have on the games, it just leaves the door open to so much uncertainty. Nick Saban seems like it ended up being a false positive because he continued to test negative and he was allowed to coach. The big 10's rules indicate if you test positive, period, done three weeks you could test negative 10 days in a row to to essentially prove that that was a false positive doesn't matter if you have one positive test three weeks on the shelf period Mm. so even if it's a false positive ohio state knock on wood hopefully not could be without justin fields for three weeks and in a seven eight week season you're done so i can't really say much with certainty about the big 10 all things being equal you lean ohio state I think Penn State could certainly give them a game. Minnesota certainly a team to watch. EJ Flex, his whole mindset of, you know, row the boat and next man up and all that. I think of all the teams that are out there in the Big Ten that, that are built around a mentality and they're a true team and unit as opposed to just talent, that's Minnesota. So in a year that could have a lot of turns, uh, I think Minnesota can come out looking pretty solid and get to that Big Ten title game. And then anything goes in that Big Ten title game. So it's going to be fun to watch. I'm glad it's back. I'm afraid it's back because, you know, if anything goes south, there's going to be a punching bag for the entire country because, like I said earlier, people are going to look at it and say, well, you guys did make the right choice initially of not playing, and then you decided to play. So anything that happens, you asked for it. So you just hope that everything works out fine. But uh, and the they've least, given themselves- all we do time is watch the games, I guess. Yeah, they've given themselves no room for error, too, like we mm-hmm. talked about. Um, you know, they're trying to play eight games in eight weeks. So hopefully they get it in. I think, too, Joe, in a shortened season like this, Ohio State has such an advantage because with minimal games, they have so much hype from the offseason. 
that if they look half of what people are expecting them to look like and go 8 and 0 then they're 1000% in the college football playoff even if one loss maybe to Penn State if they get into the Big 10 title game and win they're still probably in um, of course so that would be the only thing but uh, yeah glad Big 10 now back. as we transition to best bets in the NFL I got the alert on my phone. You're going to be happy if you haven't looked at your phone yet. Uh, from one shade of purple to another, the Ravens have traded for Yannick Ngakwe, a third rounder and a conditional 2022 fifth rounder. So Yannick Ngakwe back to Maryland, grew up in Bowie, Maryland, and now will be back with the Ravens. Schefter says they've been trying to acquire him multiple times in recent months, and now they finally got their guy. So there you go. React to that live on, live on our yeah. uh, recording. <laughs> well, uh... Joe, much like how Daryl Morey and the Rockets talked about how they were almost obsessed with beating the Warriors and everything they do was trying to beat the Warriors, I think you're looking at what the Ravens are trying to do, and it's all about beating the Chiefs. Mm -hmm. They know – they built their team. You know, it it was all about beating the Patriots years and years ago, and how are we going to beat New England? And now it's all about beating the Chiefs. And I think Wink Martindale, Eric DaCosta, the GM, and that whole staff is like, we cannot blitz Patrick Mahomes. And the way we got to defend him is we got to rush four, sometimes even three. So now you've gone out and gotten Calais Campbell in the offseason. You still you got Matt Judon on a franchise tender, and now you went and got Ngakwe. You have probably the best secondary in football with Marlon Peters. So they are trying to build this team to hang with the Chiefs, and Nagakwe is another part of that puzzle. And honestly, not only the Chiefs. I mean, you look at Pittsburgh and what they're doing with their receivers. Uh, the Titans, obviously, you got to stop Henry, but Tannehill's showing that he is no kind of slouch. Josh Allen uh, has definitely improved as a passer this year. They have digs. So the, the teams in the AFC, especially Kansas City, you got to shut down their passing game. And I think Nagakwe, that move, uh, definitely is is towards that but wow that is a uh that is surprising a surprising news i thought maybe they'd go out and get another receiver they still might but uh ngakwe is uh that's that's a big move so by the time you guys listen to this it'll be in the past but so you know live on air two minutes ago Um, yeah live reaction to it but that'll be very interesting as things shake out because it's do you agree that this is? I oh, mean, I, this is a I move agree. solely to be to. Of course, of course. Kansas but City. at the end of the day, it's one of those moves that, like you said, helps them against every team. And I don't think it's a foregone conclusion that they are winning the North. The Steelers are ridiculously good as well. Their defense is the best in football. Offensively, Ben looks like Ben, and they continue to show their knack for drafting receivers after the first round because they've got Juju out there. Now Chase Claypool is looking like Megatron 2.0, even though Seahawks players will say that DK Metcalf is Megatron 2.0. So we're going to have a battle on that one. Uh, But everybody in that Steelers receiver room can light you up on a given day. James Conner looks like he regained his form from not last year, but the year before last year, he struggled. They're putting eight guys in the box because Duck Hodges and Mason Rudolph were not beating you over the top. And on top of that all, their offensive line is the best in football. So now, besides trying to beat the Chiefs, that helps them, the Ravens, in trying to get past the best offensive line in football next week when they finally meet the Steelers. So it's a move that helps them in any facet. Pass rush, it's one of those things that doesn't matter who you're playing, it's going to help you out. So it's a big move for the Ravens. And, PJ, I guess that doesn't really factor into our best bets this week because you're not going to get to see – 
uh, Ngakwe this week. Well, the, the Ravens. Ravens are on a bye. That's what so. I'm saying. You're not going to get. To, that's what I'm saying. You're not going to get to see him this week. They're on a bye. Uh, you you've tried to go Ravens pretty much every week during our best bet segment, but this week you got to uh, stray away yeah, from a couple. I I really just went with uh, I bet against them with the Browns, and we you did that one time. And then uh, I bet them against the Washington football team last week. I, I could not believe they didn't cover. They were up 16 <laughs> with five minutes to go. The safety, Deshaun Elliott, dropped an interception. Then on fourth and ten, Wentz throws the one up for Fulgham. He catches it. They get a stop. They come down, score again, miss the two. They lose by two. That, that was a tough one. But, uh, no, I'm not betting them this week, and I'm not <laughs> betting them next week against Pittsburgh. I don't care what the spread is. But uh, a big couple games for the Steelers, Joe. You think that they are, for real, one of the best teams in football I'm not quite sold yet. I think they're really good. But, uh, I mean, they just – they haven't beaten anyone yet for me where they're like, wow, like that's, that's a good team. Yes, they crushed the Browns last week. Mayfield was beat up. They always have the Browns number. Tennessee this week will be a good test. You go on the road. Can you stop Derrick Henry? Can you shut down Tannehill? And can you carve up that Titans defense that everybody's been mm-hmm. carving up? So this will be a good uh, test for the Steelers. And that's certainly the game of the week. And I guess I'll start off with picks this week. We're neck and neck now. Uh, last week, we both went two and three. Uh, we both had a couple of close ones. Uh, yes. I mean, my, my Dolphins minus nine and a half wasn't even close. Dallas yeah. getting shellacked on Monday night. That was a surprise. That one was quite a surprise. I um, liked Dallas in that game a lot. I, I, was, a lot I was right there did. with you. That was surprising. A lot of people did. Yeah. Uh, your biggest surprise, I guess, would probably have to have been the Ravens not covering that seven and a half the way that game was going. But uh, yeah, that and uh, and Auburn. I'm Auburn a, yes. I really I thought that they would bounce back and play better, and now they got Ole Miss in the lane train this week, Joe. If they're not careful, they might uh, they might drop. And boy, the SEC West has really turned out to be bad this year, hasn't oh, yeah. it? LSU. I mean, is the third best team Arkansas? You can make a case Oof, after A and M that it might gross. be. Mississippi State is not what we thought they would be after that LSU win. LSU and Auburn are not what they thought we would be. And Ole Miss, they score a lot, but they have no deep. So I think Arkansas is the third best team. I believe it. Well, with that, let's start the picks. I'll start off. I actually like that Steelers-Titans game. Uh, I think that the Steelers are not getting enough credit. I think the Titans have shown a lot of cracks in the foundation, especially against the Texans, a game that they should have lost, if not for a genius move by Vrabel taking that intentional – 12 men penalty, selling it with some great acting on the sideline, pretending to be mad at that player. Uh, and that, that play saved them 40 seconds. They scored with only a few seconds left. So that saved them the game. But they nearly just lost at home against the Texans. Uh, the defense can be had. The Steelers' offense, they can get into a shootout with you. They can play game control and milk the clock with Connor behind that offensive line and mixing in Benny Snell. It's a pick em right now. Uh, I will go ahead and gladly take the Steelers on a pick em. It's by no means a confidence pick, uh, but as my fifth pick of the week, I could der- certainly see the Steelers kind of announcing themselves and setting up a massive clash next week against the Ravens. Yeah, um, my number five, I'm going back to college football. I love the sandwich spot games. Last week, one of my winners was Kentucky over Tennessee because I told you Tennessee was coming off the Georgia game. They got Bama this week, and Kentucky was their middle game, and they got blitzed. I don't know if Missouri can beat Kentucky outright, but they're getting five and a half. Kentucky, again, last week, huge emotional programming type big win for them at Tennessee. 
They're home against Georgia next week, which could be a massive game in the SEC East. And all you got to do is get by little old Missouri, who's coming off a bye week. They themselves came off a monster win against LSU. I know LSU is not great. To cool down from it, which is nice. Exactly, they get time to cool down from it. Um, and I think because this is a sandwich spot game, I love how Missouri's offense looked against LSU, even though LSU's defense is horrible. But their offense did look very good. I give them uh, the plus five and a half against Kentucky. All right, so I am going to go to college as well for my next pick. Um, I'm probably not going to do this as the season goes along because Maryland might win a game, might win two games. But on the road against a mediocre Northwestern team, getting 11 points, that's a lot. And Maryland has one of the longest week one win streaks in the nation. It's been 10 years in a row they've won on week one. Not that that really carries They're always good to start the year. Always good to start the year. And – Having the wild card now of the opposition has to prepare for two quarterbacks in Tolia Tungvaloa and Lance Lejean. You don't know which you're going to see. They're two totally different quarterbacks. In week one, you can run a package where you have both of them. Uh, now, already in week two, that that would be obsolete then because it's on film. They know what to expect. But week one, you could come out with a lot of surprising things like that. Uh, they've got Rakeem Jarrett top right receiver prospect who surprisingly flipped from LSU to Maryland. They've got uh, a good stable, I know, of, of freshman running backs who could surprise some people behind Jake Funk. And they have a lot of young talent that kind of flew under the radar. Mike Loxley, for all his faults sometimes as a coach, when uh, he maybe in a big game he faded away at Bama or at Maryland, he struggled record-wise last year. He's a damn good recruiter, and that talent is starting to stack up at Maryland. So I don't know what the record's going to be at the end of the year. I'd probably say maybe they win two games. I think there's a chance they win outright if you want to put a little sprinkle on that at plus 320. But I'm just going to take them with the 11 points in a good spot here. I think that's – we will see three or four weeks from now that in hindsight, this spread probably should have been about four or five. Even if Northwestern covers, time will tell that – Maryland probably shouldn't have been getting 11 points at Northwestern, so I'll take the free 11 points. I like that pick. And Northwestern is not a team either that's built to blow you out. Not at all. Peyton Ramsey's their quarterback now from Indiana who has torched Maryland the last couple of years yeah. in the Indiana-Maryland matchup. But same thing, a new quarterback in a new situation. I think there's right. certainly 11 points is, is too much in this one. Joe, my number four pick of the week, I like New England minus two and a half at home against San Francisco. San Francisco, we were both all over it last week. We knew they were going to play great against the Rams. That was a must win for them. The Patriots are coming off an absolute stinker at home against the Broncos last week. They look like a team that hadn't practiced all week, which was probably true. Um, but this is just mostly on Belichick not losing two games in a row. Well, three games in a row, I guess, if you go back after the bye week. And then um, – San Francisco is going to be without Raheem Mostert. And you watch that Rams game. When Mostert was on the field, how that offense looked, and when he was not, looked like two completely different teams. San Francisco, they're built through their running game. They need to get that running game going against New England. And without Mostert, I just think they're going to have a problem doing it. you got to travel all the way to the East Coast, play uh, – early game against New England when they're going to be pissed off, ready to go after last week's tough loss against the Broncos. So I like New England minus two and a half. All right. I like that pick. Now I'm going to go to the NFL um, every week against the Jets. All right. Every week. This week, I do want to stay away from the line that is now nearing 14. 
because Donald's probably going to be back. Denzel Mims probably going to be back. Mekhi Becton probably going to be back. Bills coming off of those two huge games against uh, the Chiefs and Titans, big matchups in the AFC. Next week, looking ahead to New England. So it's a spot for the Bills to stumble a little bit. When I say stumble a little bit, I mean dominate the Jets, but possibly get backdoor covered. Now, what is the lock in this game is Bills minus seven in the first half. Bills minus seven first half. The Jets have been awful in first halves this year. They've maybe scored some more points in the second half, depending on the opponent. Like, they came back in the second half sort of against the Bills after just being blown out of the water in the first half. Uh, The closest they've been at halftime all year was four points down against the Broncos on Thursday night. And that was because of a late field goal in the half. So that's the closest they've been. It's only a touchdown. Bills probably come out strong, ease their foot off the pedal in the second half where the Jets could cover at the back door with some guys back healthy on offense. But Bills minus seven in the first half. I have no issues taking that one. That's good. Uh, My number three, Joe, it worries me a little bit just because of how much this line is moving. But my rule is that when a team gets just embarrassed at home and they go on the road the next week, you got to bet them. So I'm going with Dallas. Um, Right now it's a pick them. So just money line against Washington. You know, it's tough. I hate the fact that even though this division is such booty, the fact that everybody is still on the Cowboys to win the NFC East. They're still the pick kind of them and the Eagles. Really? We got a big Thursday night game tonight between the giants and the Eagles. But uh, I don't know. I just think Dallas gets the ship, right? Uh, They're going to run Zeke. Washington's offense has not been great. So that'll definitely help out the Dallas defense. And uh, I don't know. It just worries me because I feel like in a pick them like this, a lot of people will be on the Cowboys, but again, Getting embarrassed at home last week, you go on the road, so you're much more focused. A divisional game that you know you have to have. So I think the Cowboys will be ready, and I think they win by a field goal. All right, PJ, you know I'm not afraid to pick big numbers. Yeah. Sometimes the numbers make sense. Are you going Clemson? Go with it. Not Clemson. That one's, oh. <laughs> too big. that one's too big, and they've shown that they will take out Trevor Lawrence. Right. I'm going Ohio State minus 26 against Nebraska because I think Nebraska's awful. I think Ohio State, in a condensed, shortened season for them, they don't have the luxury to, like I was saying, maybe with the Bills in the second half against the Jets, Ohio State this year is not going to have that luxury to take the foot off the gas in the second half. They need to kill every team to Mm. leave no doubt that in a shortened season, they deserve to be in the playoff. And if they do stumble against Penn State, but rally and still make the Big Ten title game and win the Big Ten title, they want to be able to say that even with one loss, well, we've totally blown out everybody else. We stumbled in one game, but we should be in the playoff. So I think when it's 17, it's going to become 24 and become 31, and they're just going to pile on. This game, to me, screams something like 49-17 Ohio State. The 26 doesn't really scare me. When I was waiting for this line to come out, as long as it was this side of four touchdowns, I was going to be on Ohio State, and it's two points this side of four touchdowns, minus 26, take Ohio State. I'm staying in the Big Ten with my number two pick. I'm going to Indiana, plus six and a half against Penn State. All right. There's a reason Vegas is putting that six and a half out there so that the normal person can go, Penn State, number eight team in the country, all they got to do is win by a touchdown. Absolutely. Well, we mentioned already they got Ohio State. 
coming up next week. You don't think there's a look ahead from Penn State? Because I sure as hell do. <laughs> and Indiana, look, they're a tough team. They always play tough. They're still searching for that big win, though, in their program. I don't know if they necessarily win, but plus six and a half, that line just seems a little stinky with the number 18 team in the country. And again, we think Penn State's a really good team, but we haven't seen them play yet. So I think week one in the Big Ten is a great week to take on your dogs just because you talked about Maryland with the value against Northwestern, Indiana. I'm just trusting Vegas on this one with the number. I took Texas A&M at the same number against Florida a couple weeks ago at this number. I'm taking Indiana again, plus six and a half. All right, my last pick of the week. You mentioned you're not – in this case, it's not embarrassed at home going on the road, but still embarrassed last week. Chance to redeem themselves this week. The Packers got killed by the Bucks last week off of a bye. They're on the road again against the Texans. They're only giving three points, which seems fishy and Gosh. almost scared me away. But I went back to what I was saying early in the season when I was talking right, right out of the gates about – the Bills against the Jets. And that game had the reverse line movement in the Bills against the Jets. There's some games you just got to look at and say, all right, Team A is significantly better than Team B here. The Packers are significantly better than the Texans. They're coming off of getting embarrassed in the national spot on Fox at 4 o'clock against a big conference opponent that that could come back to bite them when it comes to seeding in the playoffs. Yeah. The Texans, they've only won one game. They've competed in every game. But the Packers have been in total control of the games they've won. And I think this is a good get-right game for them. Uh, I don't really see much – I, I want to say I don't really see much trouble here. But, again, why is the line only three is the question mark. But I, I feel fine taking the Packers minus three. I don't think they lose two in a row. And if they win, you got to think it's going to be by at least a field goal. It's not going to be one of these crazy one- or two-point games, which is a score line that happens so rarely. Right. Um, so if – if they're going to win, which I think they will, three points shouldn't be a problem. So I'll take the Packers in this game. All right. And then my number one, I got, uh, I got Jacksonville plus eight against the Chargers. And this is just because the Chargers aren't capable of blowing anybody out. I yeah. mean, they, they always play close games. Jacksonville has kind of turned into the team that we thought they would be mm -hmm. at the start of the season. But you look at them on the road, and they're not as bad as you would think. They played Tennessee really tight week two. They went on the road against Houston um, last week. They lost by 16, but they had some chances to really make them, that game close. And Texas, the Texans scored a late touchdown to break that thing open. Um, and, you know, I, I just – the Chargers are coming off a bye. But, again, they're coming off a bye, and they're at home against the Jags. You just wonder if the motivation is there. You know, I feel like they, they have so many guys banged up, Joe. and. You just wonder if this is a game that they view as we'll give our guys another week to get healthy. Also, another thing as well, you look at the survivor pool and everybody who hasn't used Buffalo, who has used Buffalo already, I'm looking at this game. It's the game that a lot of people are going to uh, use. And this could be an outright upset here. I, I'm taking Jacksonville on the money line as well. I think they have a great chance to win the thing outright, but I definitely love them plus the eight against the Chargers. All right, interesting week. We'll see how we do. We're both neck and neck. I'm only up one pick. Uh, now, where we are once again tied, and you've blown your lead, PJ, uh, is trivia. We yes. are tied again. Uh, I will allow you 
to, to ask the question first this week. All right. So my question for you, uh, it actually came during the Monday night football broadcast. They pulled this graphic up and I'm like, that's a nice question. All right. All right. All right. So you have seven possible answers that you can give me only need five from you. Okay. So since 1996, there have been eight teams without conference championship appearances. Um, the Cowboys are one of them. That's why I came up on Monday gotcha. night Cowboys Cardinals game. So eight teams that have uh, not made a conference championship appearance have been the AFC title game or the NFC since 1996. So of the seven remaining, if you can give me five, I will give it to you. Okay, I'm ready. Go ahead. Bills and Dolphins. Bills and Dolphins are two. That is correct. Okay. Um, now, conference championship, Washington. That is three. Okay. So that takes care of both, both Eastern divisions because I know everybody else has. Now, in the South, everybody since 96 in the NFC South has been to a Super Bowl, so that would disqualify them. Um, in the AFC South, Titans, Colts, Jags have been there. The Texans have not. The Texans. The Texans, that is correct. All right, one more. Uh, in the North, oh, the Browns have not been there. The Browns, that is correct. All you right, nice it. and easy. There we go. Get, uh, if you can get the other two. That'd be All right, let's see, let's see. Um, I don't think the Bengals have made it. Bengals, that is correct. Six. Okay. Um, that takes care of that division. And then the NFC North. Uh, I don't think the Lions have made a conference championship game. Who's the team you said, sorry? The Lions. The Lions, that is correct. Seven for seven. There we go. Seven for seven. Well done. <laughs> Got it in a minute, too. That was nice, easy, and quick. <laughs> All right. Nine and a half for me. Nine and a half. Well done. All right. PJ, your question, we're, we're going outside the box here. We're, we're switching up format a little bit. Still 90 seconds, three strikes. But I want you to, in proper order, that's the key here. Not getting the teams in proper order. So you could have multiple guesses at the order. In proper order, the current order of ranked Big Ten teams as we get into this week with the Big Ten back in action. So I'll tell you there are, there are one, two, three, four, five ranked Big Ten teams. I want you to put them in order. And your time starts now. All right, Ohio State's at the top. Correct. Um, then we have Penn State number two. Correct. Then Wisconsin number three. Correct. And then, uh, Michigan four. Yes. And Minnesota five. All right. We both gave each other easy ones this <laughs> well, week. All right. All right. All right. That's, nice. that's the first time in a while we both got them right. So there we go. Yeah. Still with, tied. Nine and a half. time eight. to spare. Plenty. That was good. Plenty. Right. I thought you might have. I thought you might have got ahead and said Michigan State thrown in there, or you might have flip-flopped Minnesota and Michigan, uh, or even Wisconsin and Michigan, but you got it. There you go. Oh, nice. Love it. Um, all right, Joe, so your best bet picks again. I'm writing them down. Ohio State was 26 and a half. 26 even. 26 even. All right, very nice. And then the Steelers were a pick em. Steelers were a pick em. Maryland was plus 11. Yep. Bills' first half was minus 7. And then Packers, Packers, I saw at minus three on the dot. Excellent. That's a good number for the Packers, too. They win by a field goal. That's push. Yep. Yeah, that is 
That is an interesting line. It's kind of like Detroit minus three at Jacksonville last week. That's why I didn't mm-hmm. touch it because I'm like, Detroit's only favorite. Now, what I've been doing here and there is I've been actually going ahead to the, to the look-ahead lines for the following week. And I actually um, – The Chiefs-Jets well, game's already out. Well, that's already out at 22. But I did the look-ahead for this week, and I got, um, I got Saints – I did a three-team parlay with the spread. I got Saints minus seven. That has since be- – I'm sorry, I got Saints minus six and a half. That has since become seven and a half. I got Bills minus 10. That has since become minus 13. And I got Packers minus three, which it still is. So I got actually some good value there. I got a free point on the Saints and three free points on the Bills by doing it last week. So if anything offers you look-ahead lines, go ahead and give it a look and see what you can get. I did it a couple weeks ago with the the Cardinals against the Jets as well and got it at seven. I don't remember what it finished at, but I got some free points there too, so. Real quick, uh, Chiefs and Jets is at 22 right now. We're still taking the Chiefs. Oh, we're taking the Chiefs. Like, like Ohio State, Nebraska for me, as long as it's this side of four touchdowns, we're taking the Chiefs. Four touchdowns is when it becomes too much. Now with Le'Veon on the roster, you got to figure he's scoring at least two or three times. the Jets, yes. <laughs> yes. yes. Oh, they man. will score. I will say this right now. I don't think it's too far-fetched. We'll remember this for when that time comes. The Chiefs will not punt in that game. The Chiefs will not punt against the Jets. Wow. If there's anywhere that offers that prop bet, I will take it. The Chiefs will not punt against the Jets. Wow. And if they, do, if they do, it's only because it's the fourth quarter and Matt Moore is in the game and they're already up by five touchdowns. They will not punt. I will, you know what? I'll put that qualifier in there. The Chiefs will not punt as long as Patrick Mahomes is in that game. I cannot wait for the Chiefs to go three and out on their first possession. (laughs) (laughs) That will be awesome. Don't count on it, PJ. (laughs) I wonder if the prop, if you'll get better money for the Chiefs going three and out on their first drive or them not punting the entire game. Now, that's interesting. That's That's interesting. interesting. All right. We'll see what happens. Thanks again to Chris Miller for joining us. Joe, we got a great guest next week, NFL player joining us. Um, we're looking forward to that episode 23 coming up as joe says we're feeling good about 22 world series in full swing we'll see you still got the dodgers and five still got the dodgers and five all right i'm going dodgers and six we'll see what happens until then i'm pj glasser that's joe mouthful we'll see you next time.